Today might be the most perverse topic we've covered to date. From a young age, Albert Fish became infatuated with sadomasochism, self-harm, and cannibalism. His targets for these heinous acts? Children. Today, we'll take a look at the life of Albert Fish, discuss how and why he committed the crimes he did, and how he was eventually brought to justice. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought eating the Japanese puffer fish was dangerous, stick around. The fish on tonight's menu is downright terrifying. This is Necronomapod. Sexual homicides are rare. Serial sexual homicides are exceedingly rare. So we do have trouble when we look at these studies because the sample sizes are extremely small. But still, there are some differences that we can identify. So we see here that serial sexual homicide offenders tend to have offenses that are premeditated. They're also twice as likely to choose victims with distinctive physical or personality characteristics, and they're also about twice as likely to target strangers. We also see that serial sexual homicide offenders are more likely to report deviant sexual fantasies within the 48 hours prior to the offense. All right, so before we jump into today's topic, we should probably let everyone know that uh, a little disclaimer here, this story features a lot of uh, violent and graphic uh, information involving minors, children, uh, nothing very fun, not for the faint of heart. This story might not be for everyone. We just want to give you a heads up right now that Albert Fish was a piece of shit and uh, he pretty much fucked around a lot with kids. So uh, listener discretion is advised. Fair to say? Very fair to say. Okay. Yeah, it's never fun when you're talking about kids. No. Especially and, and in this, the manner that we're going to be talking about tonight. So. Right. And this whole story is full of that shit. So we just want to give you guys a, a upfront heads up that this uh, this episode might not be for everyone. There's a lot of uh, fucked up shit involving kids here. So again, listener discretion advised. Listen at your own risk. And, uh, you know. If anything, though, please download it and don't listen. But we still want the download. Well, if they're already listening to us, <laughs> yeah. they're already here at this yeah. point. Good so. point. Thank you for the download. We appreciate it. <laughs> you could skip ahead to the end. We probably have some fun jokes at the sure, end or something. Sure. But hey, so another thing we we talked about this at the end of last week's show, but we just wanted to mention it again here uh, before it starts. So as of May first, due to popular demand, we are going to introduce another tier of patreon a ten dollar level of uh uh for patrons to sign up for if you are interested this new level will include early release and ad-free episodes of all of our main sunday shows you will also get a necronomapod sticker you will get a uh exclusive download for uh necronomapod wallpaper for your uh smartphone iphone or android and then also once a month we're going to do a necro Necronomapod happy hour video chat. So you'll be able to get on video with us and we'll drink some beers with you guys, answer some questions, maybe do a power hour, whatever it might be. But that'll be once a month you get to do a uh, video chat with us. So again, early release and ad free episodes, Necronomapod happy hour video. You'll get a Necronomapod sticker and you'll get exclusive download uh, for a wallpaper for the uh, for a Necronomapod wallpaper for your smartphone. That'll be starting in May, and that'll be at the uh, $10 Patreon level due to popular demand. So we appreciate people uh, wanting that. We're going to do our best to provide, and hopefully it's worth your while. How could it not be? I like the idea of 
of video power with everybody. I think that would be super fun. I mean, that sounds like it's going to be a shit show, and I love it. It will 100% be a shit show. <laughs> That's what makes it fun. Do I get to make the music for that? Uh, no. Because I can come up with 30 Britney <laughs> songs and 30 Nickelback songs, and uh, we have 60 minutes of fun. No. You let me pick three songs for tonight. That's, That's the true. first time. You know what? I've known you for, like, what, three, four years now? Yeah. We've been hanging out. Yeah. I've never, ever gotten to pick any songs for Power Hour. Well, first of all, three we've only, tonight, you, so. you make it sound like we've done some, we've done like what, five Power Hours together <laughs> at most in those years. And of course, I'm going to give you some picks. I gave you some Kanye and actually you did very well. You picked some good Kanye songs. You picked yeah, some old school was, Kanye. Uh, so I felt special today. I got, I got Aww. some picks. Got some picks. That's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we, well, for, so, uh, Listeners should be advised we did a power hour before we started recording tonight. So, <laughs> Speaking of shit shows. There's that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can't be much more of a shit show than last week. <laughs> or that Patreon show we recorded last week at the news show. Might have been our most shit show of all time. It was pretty good. Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Last week's news story. Went a bit off the rails. Apparently, I, you know... Very much offered my services rails. for things that I probably shouldn't have <laughs> stepped into. <laughs> Whoops, a doodles. It happens. Offer still stands. Let me know. One eight hundred. Am I a cuck? <laughs> am I a cuck? You got to join Patreon to find out what the fuck he's talking about. Yeah. Anyways, we're getting our laughs out now because we're about to start not laughing for a while here. Yeah. But uh, we're trying to offer you guys more uh, and give more access to us and do a video chat and we'll drink some alcohols with you and have a good time. It will be super fun. All right. Now that that's out of the way, let's just go ahead and I guess dive right into it. Ian, uh, let's get into this. Uh, I know we say it all the time. This has to be the most fucked up story. It's pretty, it's this pretty is, disgusting. It's not a good story. This might be the biggest piece mm -hmm. of shit we've ever covered. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing with Albert Fish is that you're bringing in kids because he was specifically a child murderer. So I think Peter Curtin kind of rose to Peter near this level. That guy was a big piece <laughs> yeah. of shit too. Not a, not a great person. No. Can you uh, can, can you give me that Peter Curtin that sound clip real quick? <clears throat> <laughs> the guy that finished in his pants anytime he saw blood hit the ground. <laughs> I will always just forever think about like when he killed the what is it a goose or a duck? Yeah, and goose, he saw the blood goose. and then just came in hey. his pants. <laughs> Immediate. The guy was blowing loads in his trial, uh, you know, sitting in court, reliving it. All right, All let's right. dive in. What do you got, Ian? It's, it's a great story. Hamilton Howard Fish, also known as the Gray Man, the Werewolf of Wisteria, the Brooklyn Vampire the moon maniac and just simply as the boogeyman was born in Washington DC on May 19th, 1870 to Randall and Ellen fish the guys taking all the cool nicknames. How about you leave one for us, pal? <laughs> yeah, sir. I mean, I mean the werewolf or wisteria is a pretty badass name. It's not bad. Uh, the gray man specifically creeps me the fuck out, especially when we get later on into uh, eyewitness accounts of him. Super creepy. His father was American of English ancestry, and his mother was a Scots-Irish-American. His father was 43 years older than his mother and was 75 years old at the time of Albert's birth. Oh, my. Yeah, it's pretty intense, especially yeah. for, like, way back in the 1800s. 75, goddamn. Yeah, I mean, that's fucking Guinness World Record at Do that point, Do people even right? live that long? 
Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> the life expectancy was like 40 back then. So this guy was essentially Dave's age, and he's marrying someone. <laughs> he's, marrying, oh, he's marrying someone 30 years younger. God damn. Well, that doesn't sound too bad, right? Well, I'd pull for you, Pally. <laughs> Albert was the youngest child and had three living siblings, Walter, Annie, and Edwin. He wished to be known as Albert after a dead sibling to escape the nickname Ham and Eggs that he was given at an orphanage in which he spent much of his childhood. So what it was was that there was like a baby that was born named Albert. The baby died uh, because of his name, Hamilton Howard. Everybody called him Ham and Eggs. So he was like, you know what? Don't love that. I want to be called Albert after that dead baby. I don't know. Ham and Eggs. Not terrible. What's up, ham and eggs? I don't think that's a terrible <laughs> name at worse. all. Yeah. It's fucking delicious breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Albert's family had a history of mental illness. His uncle suffered from mania. One of his brothers was confined in a state mental hospital, and his sister Annie was diagnosed with a, quote, mental affliction. Three other relatives were diagnosed with mental illnesses, and his mother had auditory and visual hallucinations, which you could assume was schizophrenia. So, oh, so they, they had a good bloodline going. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff running through this family. Mm. Albert's father, Randall, was a riverboat captain, and by 1870, a fertilizer manufacturer. His father died in 1875 at Washington 6th Street Station of a heart attack. The Congressional Cemetery records show that he died on October 16th, 1875, and was buried on October 19th, 1875. Albert's mother then put her son into St. John's Orphanage in Washington because she couldn't afford to care for him. There he was frequently abused, and Albert began to enjoy the physical pain that the beatings brought. When we're talking about physical abuse, uh... These type of orphanages, you can go through stories of uh, even back into like Charles Manson days of when he was in these these young people's homes, brutal beatings from from guards and people that oversaw these children. And specifically in Albert's case, they would make these kids strip down naked and they would beat them and read them Bible verses as they beat them. So at a very early age... This was just literally not even a figure of speech. It was beat into his head, seeing someone naked and Bible verses. And that will play a part later on in the story. Sounds like a healthy, uh, you know, base to lay for a a, a young, impressionable child. Yeah, I mean, just trying to Mm -hmm. visualize what an orphanage in the 1870s would look like. And I mean, like the, the state homes and things, it carried on, like I said, up until Charles Manson's time. When we get to Charles Manson and the Manson family, his life when he was a child in these state-ran organizations was fucking brutal. Mm. I mean, those were like straight-up psychopaths ran these places. Of his time at the orphanage, Albert said, quote, I was there till I was nearly nine, and that's where I got started wrong. We were unmercifully whipped. I saw boys doing many things they should not have done. By 1880, Albert's mother had a government job, and she was able to remove him from the orphanage, which I didn't know that that was possible, to just drop your kid off at one of those things, and then when you found your un- you 
got employment, you were able to take them back out. But mm. that's what happened. That is in this odd. Case. Temporary. Like it's like, oh, here's a like a, you know four year daycare. Mommy's back. Yeah. Seems healthy. Ham and eggs are coming off. <laughs> <laughs> in 1882, at the age of 12, he began a homosexual relationship with a telegraph boy. This telegraph boy introduced Albert to fetishes involving drinking urine and eating feces. God damn. It's an acquired taste, I imagine. <laughs> it's it's uh, something, man. That's a, that's a way to jump into sexual activity. Head first yeah. at 12? At 12 years old? Mm. Little sidebar. <laughs> would you get pissed Enlighten on? Enlighten me would on you, the sidebar. Would you get pissed on for a sexual fetish? Maybe it's not yours if it was your partner's for that evening. Would you get pissed on if they mm. were into it? I suppose. Okay. I don't think I would be that against it. I'm not going to drink it. I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to, you know. As long as you don't hit me in the face, I don't care. Right. But I think I would be okay if it was your thing. It's not my thing. Yeah, I don't care. It's not going to get me off. I'm pissing on my head. Other than that. And I'm going to shower. I'm going to shower pretty quickly (laughs) after. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Okay. Ian, you have not answered. Uh, Yeah, I mean, whatever. That's cool with me, I guess. If that's your thing. If that's their thing. That's that's not my thing. It's not 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 any of our things, I think. Eh. No, it's not my thing. But if there was a girl that I was really into, that that was her thing. So you'd let Jody Aris piss on sure. you? Ian. That's what you're saying. You let Jody Aris piss on you? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Necronomapod for the Jody Aris <laughs> episode, where we find out Ian unravels and just falls in love with Jody Aris. <laughs> Quote marriage material. Yep. Well, you said it too, Pally. I don't disagree. <laughs> All right. Anyways, that's. You know, we're not going to have much fun with this episode, but I felt like that was an okay sidebar. Albert began visiting public paths where he could watch other boys undress and spent a great portion of his weekends on these visits. Throughout his life, he would write obscene letters to women whose names he acquired from classified advertising and matrimonial agencies. This became a huge turn on for him. And he just getting off on the idea of these women being repulsed by the, the type of shit that he was sending to them. And we'll see that later on. And specifically, like, the Grace Bud letter that he wrote. Um, some other things. But th- this was a big, uh, big turn-on for him to just write people these fucked-up mm. letters. We should bring that back, maybe. <laughs> just put <laughs> just letters in people's people letters. in mailboxes <laughs> Didn't in, we already in the neighborhood? this in the uh, Circleville letter-writing one? Putting random letters in people's mailboxes. It would be kind of fun. We discuss it. Patreon.com slash Necronomapod, the Circleville letter writer. We discuss just these random letters. Now, this is a little different. (laughs) This is way different. (laughs) I'd do that. I was watching you hang up your clothes in your backyard. (laughs) Endless possibilities. Seductive talk with Dave. (laughs) (laughs) I watched you getting your mail out of your mailbox today. (laughs) How's your other box? (laughs) (laughs) I have some deposits for that box. (laughs) All right. Oh, boy. Possibilities are endless here, fellas. By 1890, Albert arrived in New York City, and he said at that point he had became a prostitute and began raping young boys. In 1898, his mother arranged for a marriage for him with Anna Mary Hoffman, who was nine years his junior. They had six children together, 
Albert, Anna, Gutrude, Eugene, John, and Henry. Not much pulling out going on there, huh? Must be Catholic. Uh, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Throughout 1898, Albert worked as a house painter. He said he continued molesting children, mostly boys younger than the age of six. He later recounted an incident in which a male lover took him to a waxworks museum where Albert was fascinated by a bisection of a penis. After that, he became absolutely obsessed with sexual mutilation. Healthy. <laughs> sure. Around 1910, while he was working in Wilmington, Delaware, Albert met a 19-year-old man named Thomas Kedden. Thomas Kedden was mentally handicapped and acted like a child. So even though he was 19, Albert Fish still viewed him as a child. Because he had just he the mentality and the mindset of a kid. Right. He didn't look like it, but mentally that's where he was at. He took Kedden to where he was staying, and the two of them began in a sadomasochistic relationship. It's unclear whether or not Albert forced Kedden to do these things, but in his confession, he implies that Kedden was intellectually disabled. Like, he knew that he had... Uh, that he was mentally challenged. I'm starting to Al think that Albert may not have been a good man. <laughs> is this, I think is this? I'm leaning towards that. <laughs> I'm not convinced. Okay. Yeah. You need more information. Yeah, I want to hear more. All right. After 10 days, Albert took Ked into, quote, an old farmhouse where he began to torture him. Oh, well, there you go. Is that proof positive? All right, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> Fuck Albert Fish. The torture took place over two weeks, and Albert eventually tied Kedden up cut off half of his penis and about this albert said quote i shall never forget his scream or the look he gave me he originally intended to kill kedden cut up his body and take it home but he feared that the hot weather would draw attention to him instead albert poured peroxide over the wound wrapped it in a vaseline covered handkerchief left a ten dollar bill kissed kedden goodbye and left and of this fish said quote Took first train I could get back home. Never heard what became of him or tried to find out. Jesus Christ. That's horrific. So we just kind of like jumped right just, into the deep water yeah. with Albert Fish. For the record, everything <laughs> I'm going to read tonight from Fish's quotes Get you makes erect? me extremely uncomfortable. Oh, okay. This is not a show where we would use Blue Chew as an ad. Okay. Like it's the most, reading these notes when Ian sent them to us was the most uncomfortable I have ever been oh. in the what, 16 months we've done it's this show? Bad. Like, the stuff we're going to get to in a little bit that I have to read is... I'm looking so forward to it. It's very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I don't want to read it. But it's my duty, because I contribute nothing else to this show. Well, so, And I'm going to um, chop that up and add it to the soundboard for future <laughs> use. That's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chris Hansen with Dateline NBC. <laughs> in January 1917... Albert's wife left him for a man named John Straub. This guy was a handyman who boarded with the Fish family for a time. Albert then had to raise his children as a single parent. After his arrest, Albert told a newspaper that when his wife left him, she took nearly every possession that the family owned. At this time, Albert began to have auditory hallucinations, and they were mainly religious ones. His children started to notice that things were starting to go way off the rails when they found him naked, wrapped in a carpet, saying that he was following the instructions of John the Apostle. Yeah. So not only did the wife leave him with all these kids, she took everything they owned, too? That's a nice, yeah, nice she just, lady. Yeah, she 
Yeah, she rolled on uh, on all of them. Damn, Dave, we're in the Bible. Is that from John the Apostle? Roll yourself up in a carpet naked. I'm gonna, I mean, you're the Bible expert. I'm not familiar with that 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 passage. Interesting. I wonder how that's he interpreted it that way. I guess. Mm. And I think this is. I I, I think you could you easily 100 percent could link this back to you go back to his family history. There's obviously schizophrenia in his his in his family history, and yeah. that's that's a 100% genetic mental illness. So he obviously got it, and he was beaten brutally in the orphanage, and they read Bible passages to him. So, at so he's this got point, a whole lot going on in his mind. It slightly makes sense. I mean, not even slightly. It, it makes sense that chances are when you start hearing auditory hallucinations as a schizophrenic person that trauma is going to come out and it's going to manifest into those auditory hallucinations and things like that. It's terrifying. It was about this time that Albert began to experiment with self-harm. He would embed needles into his groin and abdomen. (laughs) Ouch. I'm going to pass out reading this. (laughs) (laughs) After his rest, x-rays revealed that Albert had at least 29 needles just straight up lodged into his pelvic region and it's not i'm sure i don't know if we used it for the teaser but we're gonna post it the (laughs) x-ray picture of his pelvis those needles are jammed so fucking far into his body i don't even understand how he got him in that far that's what she said (laughs) (laughs) no it's a gross picture it's it's terrifying oh my god so he yeah. was just walking around living like that with like these needles yeah. in him. Yep. Yep. Ugh. He enjoyed he enjoyed that that pain. The pain. Yeah. Yeah. He also hit himself repeatedly with a nail studded paddle and inserted uh, wool that was doused with lighter fluid into his anus and set it on fire. He <laughs> set his asshole on fire. Yes. What? That'll wreck your I rectum. Have... Am I right? <laughs> I have so many questions. Albert Fish takes like sadomasochism, like the fetish aspect of it, and like the like wanting to be hurt kind of thing, and he takes it to a degree that I don't know if any other human being has ever taken it since he did it. Like this guy I, is br- brutal in that. I, I also in that sense, I, but I also want to like. So, okay. like, how does he control, like, like what if, it, like, just his body hair catches a flame and he just goes up and, fought in, in, you know, flames? Well, everyone's not a hairy bastard like you might. But I would imagine he might be. <laughs> he might. He might. Everyone's got some ass hair. I mean, I, I mean, don't unless know you're getting that. Part of the he ain't getting waxed in the 1900s <laughs> or the 19th century. He ain't getting waxed. I could tell you that much, Pally. Yeah, well, oh, like, I'd be in big trouble. I'm a hairy motherfucker. <laughs> like, what's the thrill of that? The pain, the pain. But but what I'm asking is, when you get to flames, that's yeah. extreme. Do you blow it out right before it actually burns up your asshole? Also, how do you blow it out? I mean, how, what kind of body contortion <laughs> is he doing to fucking blow that flame out of his asshole? I couldn't do that. Mm. The the thing about Albert Fish too is that you know he's doing this, and we're gonna see in a little bit here where he's kind of fucking around with fire a bit. He also wet the bed until he was in his teens. Mm. So, you know, I, we've 
talked about serial killers a, a ton on this show, and we we know that the McDonald's triad is McDonald's not... triad is wetting the bed, <laughs> finding Jody Arias's marriage material, and starting your top three lists with number one. That's the McDonald's triad. So so what? Like I have two out of the three. You and Dave both. You and Dave both. <laughs> Just saying. That's my McDonald's triad. If you are, if you think Jody Arias's marriage material, if you wet the bed, and if you stop start your top three lists with number one odds are you're a serial killer in in my in mike's mind jody arias was 100 marriage material. No, we're not getting back on that patreon.com slash necronomapod is available in the archives jody arias we had one of the most intense debates i think we might have ever had it's true you were wrong Ian and i were right i disagree <laughs> so yeah, just go ask t-dog how that worked out he had two of the three but we know that that's not uh, we know it's not fully accurate. But, he also started um, his list with number one when he was ranking things. <laughs> <laughs> While Albert never thought to have physically attacked or abused his own children, like by all accounts, he was a really good father. He loved his kids. He never treated them badly at all. But he did encourage them and their friends to paddle him with the same nail-studded paddle that he used to abuse himself with. You go to your friend's house and her dad's dressed up as the gimp from Pulp Fiction. He wants you to paddle him with nail-studded paddles. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. There's more. <laughs> so he introduced these this paddling to, to kids as games. One game was called Buck Buck How Many Hands Up. <laughs> it feels uncomfortable even saying that phrase. Nana's titty bop over here. <laughs> I'd rather say Nana's titty bops a million times other than Buck Buck How Many Hands Up. <laughs> buck Na- Buck How Many Hands Up. <laughs> Nana's titty bop, a reference to Catherine Knight, available in the... Archives? Ar- archives or Patreon? It's not Patreon. Regular archives. Regular archives. archives. Sorry, guys. I don't even remember what we did last week. Before he played this game, he would buck come a buck, how many hands up? <laughs> Before he played this game, he would come out wearing nothing but a pair of brown shorts. Mm. He would hand the kids the paddle or sometimes a paintbrush and turn around. He would then tell them with one hand, put that hand up, and you put up a, an amount of fingers, and he would try to guess. If he got it wrong, However many fingers the kid had held up was how many times they had to hit him. And spoiler alert, Albert made sure that he got almost every question wrong <laughs> playing Buck Buck How Many Hands Up. He, he's like, are you holding up 27 fingers? <laughs> this, oh, no. This fucking guy. It only gets worse from here. That's the problem. Like This oh, is as, as mild as it is, as it gets. Uh, another game he would play was called Sack of Potatoes Over. In this game, he would wear the brown shorts again, but this time he would throw the kids up on his shoulder and then just kind of let them slide down his back with their fingernails just digging into his back. I don't love that. It's gross. There's There's something a little different about Sack of Potatoes Over versus Buck Buck How Many Hands Up. I don't know if it's the fact... I don't know. I don't know if it's the fact that he's actually having the kids scratch him versus just hit him with an, oh, an yeah. object. Like, like the they're skin-to-skin contact. Yeah, sure. More intimate. Skin-to-skin yeah. contact. Yeah. 
Something a little different about that game that makes it's me feel a little up. queasy. Yeah, like you're his kids watching it. You're like, oh, what? but you're his kids what participating. What are you well. doing, like, Dad? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Buck, buck, hands up. <laughs> what are these names for these fucking games? <laughs> buck, buck, hands up. Nana's titty bop. Come on. After every time he played these games, afterwards he would go into the bathroom and take all the toilet paper off the roll and set it on fire. I have some questions. Does he know how valuable that is these days? <laughs> like, why? I don't know. There's some. I saw some speculation out there that said that he was kind of doing like the same thing with like the wool and mm. like putting it up there and then setting it on fire, but. The the woman that he was with at the time, because he had he had a few uh, girlfriends and things over the years, testified to the fact that he would set the toilet paper on fire all the time after this kind of shit. So it's either he just did it out of like some weird ritual, or he shoved it up his ass and lit it on fire, and then just left it there as a as a feeling of I desecrated this area. You'll have to clean it up, kind of thing. I don't know. Okay. It's I, only going to get worse from here, folks. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is this is as PG as the story gets right now. It's going to get worse. He soon developed a growing obsession with cannibalism, and he often prepared himself a dinner consisting solely of raw meat, and sometimes would serve it to his children. In 1919, Albert stabbed a mentally challenged boy in Georgetown, Washington, D.C. He chose people who were either either mentally handicapped or African-American as victims. And he explained that he just assumed that these people would not be missed when or if they were killed. We've seen that before. Yeah. We've we've seen it with, I mean, that's that's even common today in serial killer stuff. If you're an African-American prostitute, you are the prime pickings for one of these assholes. Sure. And the police will not give a fuck about you. That's what I was going to say. Like in past stories, we've talked about like prostitutes being, the prime candidates because they won't quote be missed. Mm. This is the first time yeah. we've heard about like developmentally disabled people and yeah. African American people being the prime suspects yeah. as opposed to just prostitutes. It's a little twist. Albert would later claim to occasionally pay boys to procure other children to him. Albert tortured, mutilated and murdered young children with his quote implements of hell which consisted of a meat cleaver, a butcher's knife, and a small handsaw. Uh, On July 11th, 1924, Albert found eight-year-old Beatrice Keel playing alone on her parents' farm in Staten Island, New York. He offered her money to come and help him look for rhubarb. She was about to leave the farm when her mother chased Albert away. Albert left, but returned later to Keel's barn where he tried to sleep, but was discovered by Beatrice's father and forced to leave. During 1924, the 54-year-old Albert Fish was suffering from psychosis and felt that God was now commanding him to torture and sexually mutilate children. So this kind of puts him in the realm of this missionary killer. Like He is Mm -hmm. on a mission right now, and this is God telling him to do this kind of stuff. So he's 54 at this point. Has he essentially kept some of this in check up until this point? I mean, we, we the, 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 the bisection of the penis guy that he left tied up. But other than that, has he been not murdering up to this point? I mean, he was convicted. We'll get into it. He was convicted of three murders. 
estimates put him as high as 50 murders. Wow. And, and the amount of molestations are like 100 plus. Mm. Damn. So we just don't, re- we really don't know. I I don't know about like the 50 murders thing with kids. Yeah. But I think the molestation, yeah, for sure. That He was on molesting children big time. And I think that a hundred or more is probably pretty accurate. It's nuts. During the night of July 14th, 1924, nine-year-old Francis McDonald was reported missing by his parents. He failed to return home after playing catch with his friends in a Port Richmond neighborhood of Staten Island. A search was organized, and his body was found hanging by a tree in a wooded area near his home. He had been sexually assaulted and then was strangled with his suspenders. According to an autopsy, McDonald had also suffered extensive lacerations to his legs, abdomen, and his left hamstring had almost been stripped of completely of flesh. Ugh. Later on, Albert would refuse to claim responsibility for this, although he later stated that he intended to castrate the boy but fled when he heard someone approaching the area. So he admitted to it. Like, so he yeah. was there. He's like, "Well, I was going to do this, but I, I ran off. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't do this, yeah. but oh, I was going to castrate him, and then yeah. I ran okay. away. Okay, ham and eggs. Yeah. We're not buying it, fucko. Every time you say mm-hmm. ham and eggs, like I think of Denny's, the moons over Miami, and I want that because that's <laughs> the greatest sandwich of all. We have to Uber up there later. That sounds oh. really good right now. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> well, oh, they're they're closed though. Never mind. That's true. <laughs> Uber eats. McDonald's friends told police that he was taken by an elderly man with a gray mustache. A neighbor also told police he observed the boy with a similar-looking man walking alongside a grassy path to nearby woods. Francis's mother, Anna McDonald, said she saw the same man earlier that day, and she told reporters, quote, He came shuffling down the street, mumbling to himself, and making queer motions with his hands. I saw his thick gray hair and his drooping gray mustache. Everything about him seemed faded and gray. This description of this mysterious stranger led Albert to the nickname of, quote, the gray man. The McDonald murder remained unsolved until the murder of Grace Budd, which we're going to get into in a bit here. On February 11th, 1927, three-year-old Billy Beaton and his 12-year-old brother were playing in an apartment hallway in Brooklyn with four-year-old Billy Gaffney. When the 12-year-old left for his apartment, both younger boys disappeared. Beaton was found later on the roof of the apartments. When asked what happened to Gaffney, Beaton said, quote, the boogeyman took him, and Gaffney's body was never recovered. Oh, so he saw him. Yep. Wonder how he decided which kid to take. How fucking scary! I don't know, man. I mean, Albert yeah. Fish. Obviously, he's a, he's just a human being, but the gray man and then just this the boogeyman thing. Mm-hmm. It's so fucking creepy. Just an old guy in your neighborhood that just swoops in and takes little kids. Oh. Yep. Initially, serial killer Peter Kozwinski was suspect in the boy's murder. We've never really talked about this Peter Kozwinski guy. Is that a future episode, or is that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. He'll be a future one. Okay. Teaser. I don't know that guy. Then Joseph Meehan, a motorman from a Brooklyn trolley, saw a picture of Albert Fish in a newspaper and identified him as the old man who he saw February 11th, 1927. And he said that this old man had been trying to get a little boy to be quiet and sit on a trolley. 
the boy was not wearing a jacket. He was crying for his mother and was dragged by the man on and off the trolley. Beaton's description of the, quote, boogeyman matched Albert Fish. Police matched the description of the child to Gaffney. Detectives of the Manhattan's Missing Persons Bureau were able to establish that Albert Fish was employed by a house painter by a Brooklyn real estate company during February 1927, and that on the day of Gaffney's disappearance, he was working at a location a few miles from where the boy was abducted. Fish claimed the following in a letter to his attorney, saying, quote, Well, hang, hang on a second. Would you not intervene if you saw that taking place on this trolley? Uh, you would think so. I feel like I would. Like an old fucking old gray guy. Yeah. Like dragging a kid who's screaming for his mom. Yeah. Absolutely. You're going to do something. You're going to call yeah. the police. You're going to get involved. You're going to do something. I I, mm. I, I I like to think so. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I believe I would have stopped Albert Fish. I would have been the hero of this story. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next week. Dave finished it. <laughs> have fun reading right. this one. Yeah. Well, this isn't even the worst one, Pally. You want to hear Uncomfortable Mike read a statement? This is Uncomfortable Mike read a statement. I brought him to the Riker Avenue dumps. There is a house that stands alone, not far from where I took him. I took the G-boy there, stripped him naked, and tied his hands and feet, and gagged him with a piece of a dirty rag I picked out of the dump. Then I burned his clothes, threw his shoes in the dump. Then I walked back and took the trolley to 59th Street at 2 a.m. and walked home from there. Next day, about 2 p.m., I took tools, a good heavy cat of nine tails, homemade, short handle, cut one of my belts in half, slit these half-inch six strips about eight inches long. I whipped his bear behind till the blood ran from his legs. I cut off his ears, nose, slit his mouth from ear to ear, gouged his eyes. He was dead then. I stuck the knife in his belly and held my mouth to his body and drank his blood. I picked up four potato sacks and gathered a pile of stones. Then I cut them up. I had a grip with me. I put his nose, ears, and a few slices of his belly in the grip. Then I cut him through the middle of his body, just below his belly button. Then through his legs, about two inches below his behind. I put this in my grip with a lot of paper. I cut off the head, feet, arms, hands, and the legs below the knee. This I put in sacks weighed with stones tied the ends, and threw them into the pools of slimy water you will see all along the road going to North Beach. Water is three to four feet deep. They sank at once. I came home with my meat. I had the front of his body I liked the best. His monkey and peewees and a nice little fat behind to roast in the oven and eat. I made a stew out of his ears, nose, pieces of his face, and belly. I put onions, carrots, turnips, celery, salt, and pepper. It was good. Then I split the cheeks of his behind open, cut off his monkey and peewees, and washed them first. I put strips of bacon on each cheek of his behind and put it in the oven. Then I picked four onions, and when meat had roasted about a quarter of an hour, I poured about a pint of water over it for gravy and put in the onions. At frequent intervals, I basted his behind with a wooden spoon, so the meat would be nice and juicy. It was about two hours. It was nice and brown, cooked through. I never ate any roast turkey that tasted half as good as his sweet, fat little behind did. I ate every bit of meat in about four days. His little monkey was sweet as a nut, but his peewees I could not chew. Threw them in the toilet. God I damn. I feel disgusting for reading that. 
I uh, I will say that of all the crime scene pictures, the things we will talk about in the future that we have talked about, there is nothing as vile as that statement about a three-year-old child. You said nothing crime scene ever. photos. There's no photos of this. No, correct? but I'm but just you're saying, saying this is anything more vile anything than that yeah. I've ever seen, read. Yeah. Anything will compare I, to I don't how disagree. vile yeah. that is about a three-year-old child. And that's not even, I, that might not even be the worst one of this story. No. We're going to get to Quite another worse one coming up. But Ian, I agree with you. Like, that's fucked up. It, like, they, it, they, the most, it gives you a reaction. I mean, it just. It's disgusting. It's, it's just Albert Fish is so mentally sick that he just doesn't have even basic human Emotions, nurturing. yeah, any, anything, just anything. Even animalistic nurturing skills are gone from from this person at this point. Oh. That that you could do that to a child. So there's, I did not look at the JonBenet Ramsey crime scene photos, and Ian, I know you did, and you sent us some, but it we it wasn't a lot, and we didn't, I didn't look at a lot of that. The worst photos I have seen in the history of doing this show were the O.J. Simpson crime scene photos. Those are pretty bad. And we, we didn't post any of that because that's just not, yeah. not necessary to, to do that. They're out there if you want to see them. But statements like this are, I think, more harder to swallow than those photos even when you're talking about a three-year-old uh, yeah, kid. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a, a, a three-year-old child. And, I mean, I guess if you want to play like a kind of what-if game, if if whoever killed JonBenet ever wanted to come out and describe exactly what they did to her, I guess it would be equally as bad. Because well, they can't because Santa Bill is dead. Yeah. <laughs> we solved that mystery. I mean, come on. The, I mean, the crime scene phones of her are really bad. That's, I, I yeah. didn't like those. At I all. refuse I mean, to look at that. I think just, that's just because I have a child that's kind of in the same age sure, range. But. Sure. Well, but just carving up a kid and roasting it and making gravy. And, I and mean, then just going into this detail about it, though. Like, this guy is sick. You, but wait, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So shortly before his abduction of Grace Bud, Albert attempted to use his implements of hell on another child he had been molesting named Cyril Quinn. Quinn and his friends were playing box ball on a sidewalk when Albert asked them if they had eaten lunch yet. When they said they hadn't, he invited them into his apartment for sandwiches. While the two boys were wrestling on Albert's bed, they knocked off his mattress, and underneath they saw the knife, the handsaw, and a meat cleaver, and they got scared and ran out of the apartment. I fucking bet they did. Yeah, you creepy fucking old man. <laughs> Get out of here. What'd you even go in the apartment to begin with, right? Well, we're in the 1920s. Yeah, tried. No, no one ever, sus- well, who would ever suspect this guy of doing something yeah. like this? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We'll be right back. We like to drink beer, a lot of it. After a long night of drinking and talking crime and conspiracies, there's nothing that wakes us up and gets us ready to start the day better than Just Brew Coffee. 
With a great selection of roast levels to choose from, you're guaranteed to find one that suits your style. Small batch roasted to highlight the unique features of each coffee bean, Just Brew Coffee caters to both casual and hardcore coffee drinkers alike. Since 2010, Just Brew Coffee has worked tirelessly to perfect the roasting process and technique, which has resulted in seriously delicious, always flavorful, and never bitter tasting coffee. If you're already drinking JBC, raise your mug. If you're not, raise your standards. Check out their online store at youjustbrew.com and up your coffee game today. Use code NECRO15 to receive 15% off your order of two pounds or more. And remember, they roast, you just brew. Edward Budd was an 18-year-old who was looking for a job to escape the poverty he had been living in with his family. And he wasn't looking to just escape it and get away from his family. He was looking to better himself and also better his family and be able to pay their bills. On May 25th, 1928, he put a classified ad in the Sunday edition of the New York World saying, quote, Young man, 18, wishes position and country, Edward Budd, 406 West 15th Street. Ah, the good old days when that's all you had to do. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> On the following Monday, May 28th, Edward's mother, Delia, answered the door to an elderly man. He introduced himself as Frank Howard, a farmer from Farmingdale, Long Island, who wanted to interview Howard about a job. Delia told her five-year-old, Beatrice to get her brother at his friend's apartment and the old man smiled at her and gave her a nickel as she went on her way. While they waited for Edward, Dewey had a chance to get a better look at this this old man. He had a very kindly face, gray hair, and a large, quote, droopy gray mustache. Oh, is this the gray man we're talking about? It kind of sounds like him. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of getting a feeling it might be him at this apartment. Dave and I are so drunk, we're, we're forgetting that the story started 25 hours ago <laughs> we're still working our way through it <laughs> didn't we talk about the gray man last week nope same story <laughs> motherfucker <laughs> he explained to mrs bud that he had earned his living for decades as an interior decorator in the city and then retired to a farm he had bought with his savings he had six children he had raised by himself since his wife had abandoned him almost a decade ago with the help of his children, five farmhands, and a Swedish cook, he had made the farm into a successful one with several hundred chickens and half a dozen dairy cows. Now one of his farmhands was moving on and he needed someone to replace him. At that moment, Edward came in and met Albert Fish, who commented on the boy's size and strength. Edward assured Albert that he was a hard worker, and Albert offered him $15 a week, which... Edward accepted right away. I mean, back in those days, that's a lot of fucking money. Yeah. Albert Fish even agreed to hire Willie, Edward's closest friend. So he was going to hire both of them. Oh, that's nice of him. (laughs) Fellows can work together out on the farm. He's a nice (laughs) guy. Hey, you and your pally, come on out, work for me. Sure. 15 bucks a week. Yeah. Albert had to leave for an appointment. He promised that he would come back on Saturday to pick them up. The boys were thrilled and the buds were happy that this, this kindly old man had come so quickly, replied to Edward's ad, and it, things were looking up for them. My wife's not happy when this kindly old man comes so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> no. you, mean, you mean that gray old man, Dave? <laughs> yep, I get it. She didn't want that gray old man coming so quickly. <laughs> 
God damn, oh. pal. <laughs> <laughs> On Saturday, June 2nd, uh, this was supposed to be like the big day. Uh, the Albert was going to come pick these, these two boys up and they were going to go work, but he didn't show up. Instead, they got a handwritten note from him saying that he had been delayed and he would call in the morning. The next morning around 11 a.m., Albert Fish came to the Bud's apartment, bringing them gifts of strawberries and a fresh creamy pot cheese, saying, quote, these products come direct from my farm. What's a I was going to ask you, what's a creamy cheese? pot cheese? I don't know what that means. Like a pot yeah, of know. like 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 a pot of like like steaming like boil like I, I guess know, like, cook, like cook like a liquid cheese. I guess so you dip strawberries Ooh. in. Sounds good. Well, I was thinking, you think yeah. strawberries and cheese? Sure. I'm thinking like nachos. I mean, I would eat that. Like, strawberries some, and cheese are good. I want some tortilla chips and the cheese. Also good. Fucking strawberries and cheese is that a thing? Strawberries and cheese go together? No. That sounds uh, terrible. Sure, I would eat that. I've had strawberry and cheese plates before. Okay. No? Well, you guys are going to fucking marry Jody Arias, so enjoy your strawberry and it's cheese. It's fucking hot, dude. If She's I had wild. A, if you had a vat. She likes it in her pooper. If you had that, well, she, didn't necess- <laughs> she did not say she liked it. It was forced upon her <laughs> on our baptism. If you had a vat of melted cheese in front of you, what are you, what, what are you going for first? Like to put. I'm going like to dip, dip a strawberry so hard into that melted cheese. They're, compliment- damn, they're complimentary <laughs> flavors, for sure. <laughs> No, you have a cheese. You're dipping strawberry. That's the first thing you think of to dip in cheese is strawberries. This is the most upsetting fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. I don't know. Like you're not going to dip like a soft pretzel in it. That sounds good too. Or tortilla chips. That sounds good too. A hot dog. That sounds good too. Not fucking strawberries. Get the fuck out of here with that. I disagree. Communists. That's insane. Strawberries and cheese? Isn't that a thing? Um, I don't know. Is that a thing? I've had strawberries and cheese plates before. Yes. All right. And strawberry and cheese plates, fine. But are you dipping strawberries in melted cheese? I don't think so. They're complementary flavors. But you're still not dipping one in the other. There's a difference between a plate, like a, a, you know, charcuterie board that has all this fancy stuff on it. I, I I don't know. I don't. I can't remember right. specifically Whatever. dipping you guys are, you guys are a upset. strawberry into melted cheese. Yeah. Well, but- I would hope you would never do that. It's <laughs> a, a, offensive. It's offensive. Delia persuaded the old man to stay for lunch. For the first time, Albert Bud Sr. had an opportunity to talk with his son's new employer. He was not very impressed with this way that this the so-called Frank Howard looked. He had a rumpled blue suit. And, you know... Kind of looked like shit, but he at the same time seemed credible. Once they sat down for lunch, the door opened and 10-year-old Grace Bud walked in to join them. Albert Fish was fixated on her and said, quote, Let's see how good of a counter you are, as he handed her a huge wad of money to count. The impoverished Buds were blown away by the amount of money that this, this old man was carrying on him. It was exactly $92.50, which back in those days was a fuck ton of money. Albert Bud gave Grace 50 cents to go buy some candy with her sister. Albert said he would come back later in the evening to pick up Edward and Willie, but first he had to go to a birthday party that his sister was throwing for one of her children. He gave both Edward and Willie $2 to go to the movies. So he's flashing all kinds of money around. I mean, a hundred bucks is probably what five thousand dollars in today's money. Yeah. So these yeah, these I mean, are that, poor people. That, he's just flashing around this big wad of cash. They should have fucking killed his ass. 
burned him and took his money. That's that would have been we just saved some lives. Yeah. Or a life. A life. Just as he was about to leave, he invited Grace to go with him to his niece's birthday party. He would he said that he would take good care of her and make sure that Grace was home before nine o'clock that evening. Delia asked where Albert's sister lived, and he replied that she lived in an apartment at Columbus and 137th Street. Delia wasn't sure that she should let her daughter go with him, but the father convinced her that it would be good for Gracie to go. This is in the 30s. People are really hard off for money. The way that I read it was the father was like, they they fully trusted this guy. I mean, nobody in their right mind at this point in time in in America or just really anywhere would think that this guy was going to come fucking kill your daughter and mm-hmm. eat her. Well, spoiler and alert. <laughs> and they were very impoverished. So they figure if he, if they tell him no, he might rescind the job offer for their kid. Right, yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. He's, and he's they got wanted her to have him. a Yeah, and they wanted her to have a good time too, is how I read it. Was that Yeah, she might not have said, had a lot of friends. She was going to get to go to a birthday party and you know, right. their daughter was going to have a good time, and this guy was going to give their son a job. So I, I understand that. So Delia helped Grace get her good coat on and her gray hat with the streamers, and she followed Grace and Albert outside and watched them just disappear down the street. That evening, there was no word from Albert and no sign of Grace. The next morning, Albert Budd was sent down to the police station to report his sister's disappearance. In November 1934, an anonymous letter was sent to Grace's parents, which ultimately led to the police finding Albert Fish. I don't know why. This is like the point in the story for this one that just like kind of like punches you in the stomach or like stabs you in the back and yeah, like turns sure. a knife kind of thing. Mrs. Bud was illiterate, so she couldn't read this letter herself. So her son, Edward, had to read it to her. Well, and, and also, like, it, this was a couple years later. It's not like immediate. Like, they were missing her no. for a couple years, right? Yeah, they had no idea where she went. Yeah. I mean, this was a long time. Then out of nowhere, this letter came. And, yeah, I mean, she was illiterate. She couldn't read. And and her son had to read it to her, which is uh, mm-hmm. it's like that extra punch in the stomach kind of thing. Okay. This might be the most uh, fucked up thing I've ever read on the show. My dear Mrs. Bud, in 1894, a friend of mine shipped as a deckhand on the streamer Tacoma, Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco to Hong Kong, China. On arriving there, he and two others went ashore and got drunk. When they returned, the boat was gone. At that time, there was a famine in China. Meat of any kind was from $1 to $3 a pound. So great was the suffering among very poor that all children under 12 were sold to the butchers to be cut up and sold for food in order to keep others from starving. A boy or girl under 14 was not safe in the street. You could go in any shop and ask for steak, chops, or stew meat. Part of the naked body of a boy or girl would be brought out and just what you wanted cut from it. A boy or girl's behind, which is the sweetest part of the body, and sold as veal cutlet brought the highest price. John stayed there so long he acquired a taste for human flesh. On his return to New York, he stole two boys, one seven, one eleven, took them to his home, stripped them naked, tied them in a closet, then burned everything they had on. Several times, every day and night, he spanked them, tortured them, to make their meat good and tender. First, he killed the 11-year-old boy because he had the fattest ass, 
and of course the most meat on it. Every part of his body was cooked and eaten except head, bones, and guts. He was roasted in the oven, all of his ass boiled, broiled, fried, stewed. The little boy was next, went the same way. At that time I was living at 409 East 100th Street. He told me so often how good human flesh was, I made up my mind to taste it. On Sunday, June 3rd, 1928, I called on you at 406 West 15th Street. Brought you pot cheese and strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat on my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her on the pretense of taking her to a party. You said yes, she could go. I took her to an empty house in Westchester I had already picked out. When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers. I went upstairs and stripped all my clothes off. I knew if I did not, I would get her blood on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her. Then I hid in the closet until she was in the room. When she saw me naked, she began to cry and tried to run downstairs. I grabbed her and she said she would tell her mama. First, I stripped her naked. How she did kick, bite, and scratch. I choked her to death, then cut her in small pieces so I could take my meat to my rooms, cook, and eat it. How sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. I did not fuck her, though. I could have had I wished. She died a virgin. I don't even know what to say. That's probably the worst thing that we'll ever read on this show, I would uh, I would I, assume. I don't disagree. Like I read, I know when we do these shows, I do a lot of the quotes. Yeah. When I was reading the notes that Ian sent us, I was so uncomfortable knowing I had to read this sure. stuff. Like this was, this toy box killer was bad. <gasps> this one was terrible. I mean, and sending it to a, her mother? Sending this letter to her, their family. Pretty much essentially, you know, saying how you how you killed her, how you cooked her, how you ate her. Oh, but in the end, you could have fucked her, but you didn't. Mm. It's disgusting. It's just another uh, level of human depravity that you don't really see too often. I don't know. Move on. I don't. There's nothing else to say about it, right? It, there's not not too much to say about it. No. Yeah, I agree. The letter was delivered in an envelope that had a small hexagonal emblem with the letters. N-Y-P-C-B-A, representing New York Private Chauffeurs Benevolent Association. A janitor at the company told the police that he had taken some of the stationary home, but it left it at his rooming house at 200 East 52nd Street when he moved out. The landlady of the rooming house said that Albert Fish checked into the room a few days earlier. She said that Albert's son sent him money and he asked her to hold his next check for him. William F. King, who was the chief investigator on the case, he waited outside the room until Fish returned. Albert agreed to go to the headquarters for questioning, then pulled out a razor blade. King disarmed him and took Albert Fish to the police headquarters. Interesting thing about about William F. King, because... The disappearance of Grace Bud had gone on for years. Like we said, like she had been missing for a long time, and then they like randomly got this letter. This William F. King guy was like the police officer from the Richard Chase episode where we said like super cop. Oh and yeah. I think based on reading things about this, William F. King is like the first ever super cop ever because he had very young daughters and this kind of like just hit him super hard. And he was ready to go. Yeah. And he was like, I, and then as soon as he saw the letter, he was like, I'm finding this fucking guy, no matter what it takes. Yeah. I, I will, I will find this guy. And 
through classified ads and just like really hunting down stuff, he found him, man. I mean, he really, he hunted down Albert Fish and, and, and got him. So I think William F. King is like the hero of the story, right? The, the prototype of the super cop. Yeah. Hmm. Albert Fish made no attempt to deny the murder of Grace Bud, saying that he meant to go to the house to kill Grace Bud's brother, Edward. Albert said, quote, it never even entered his head to rape Grace, but he later claimed to his attorney that while kneeling on Grace's chest to strangle her, he did have two involuntary ejaculations. Oh boy, like our friend Peter Curtin, huh? Yeah. This information was used at trial to make the claim that the kidnapping was sexually motivated, thus avoiding any mention of cannibalism. Because I guess back in the day it was better to say that you wanted to rape a little girl versus that you wanted to eat her. That's great, yeah. Albert Fish's trial for the murder of Grace Bud began on March 11, 1935 in White Plains, New York. Frederick P. Close presided as judge and Westchester County Chief Assistant District Attorney Albert F. Gallagher was prosecuting attorney. Albert Fish's defense counsel was James Dempsey, a former prosecutor of the one-time mayor of Peekskill, New York. The trial lasted for 10 days. Albert Fish pleaded insanity and claimed to have heard voices from God telling him to kill children. Several psychologists testified that Albert's sexual fetishes, which included sadism, masochism, figulation, exhibitionism, voyeurism, peakerism, cannibalism, coprophagia, urophilia, pedophilia, and infibulation. Peakerism is a sexual interest in penetrating the skin of another person with sharp objects. Jesus. Hmm? So it makes sense. Dempsey, in his summation, noted that Albert was a, quote, psychiatric phenomenon that nowhere in legal or medical records was there another individual who possessed so many sexual abnormalities. The defense's chief expert witness was Frederick Wortman, a psychiatrist with an emphasis on child development who conducted psychiatric examinations for the New York criminal courts. During two days of testimony, Wortman explained Albert's obsession with religion and specifically his preoccupation with the biblical story of Abram and Isaac. Wortman said that Albert believed that similarly sacrificing a boy would be penance for his own sins, and that even if the act itself was wrong, angels would prevent if God did not approve. So he's just acting on uh, you know, guidance given in the Bible. I mean, can we fault him for that? It's the word of God. Well, tell us your thoughts, Dave. <laughs> I'd say we could fault him. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I agree. We can fault him. <laughs> Albert attempted the sacrifice once before, but was thwarted when a car drove past. Edward Budd, the next intended victim, but he turned out to be much larger than Albert Fish expected. I mean, this was like an 18-year-old adult at this point, so he settled on Grace. Although he knew Grace was female, it is believed that Albert just perceived her as a boy. Like, in his mind, he just made it work. Yeah. Wortman then detailed Albert's cannibalism, which in his mind he associated with communion. The last question Dempsey asked Wortman was 15,000 words long, detailed Albert Fish's life, and ended with him asking how the doctor considered his mental condition based on his life. Wortman simply answered, quote, he is insane. 
Gallagher cross-examined Wortman on whether Fish knew the difference between right and wrong. He responded that he did know that it was a perverted knowledge based on his opinion of sin, atonement, and religion, and thus was, in quote, insane knowledge. I think Albert's going to get uh, found not guilty at this point. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> not I mean, much if, we're, if, if we're rolling with... Uh, <laughs> The defense called two more psychiatrists to support Wortman's findings. The first four rebuttal witnesses was Menace Gregory, the former manager of the Bellevue Psychiatric Hospital where Albert was treated in 1930. He testified that Albert was abnormal but sane. Under cross-examination, Dempsey asked if chorophilia, urophilia, and pedophilia indicated a sane or insane person. Gregory replied that such a person was not, quote, mentally sick, and that these were common perversions that were, quote, socially and perfectly all right, and that Albert was, quote, no different from millions of other people, some very prominent and successful, who suffered from the, quote, very same perversions. Oh, so it's fine, then. Everyone's doing it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The next witness was the resident physician at the Tombs Perry Lichtenstein, Dempsey objected to a doctor with no training in psychiatric testifying on the issue of sanity, but Justice Close overruled on the basis that the jury could decide what weight to give a prison doctor. When asked whether Albert's causing himself pain indicated a mental condition, Lichtenstein replied, quote, that is not masochism, as he was only, quote, punishing himself to get sexual gratification. (laughs) The next witness, Charles Lambert, testified that chorophilia was a common practice and that religious cannibalism may be psychopathic, but, quote, was a matter of taste and not evidence of psychosis. Oh, yeah. Religious cannibalism, it's a matter of taste. (laughs) (laughs) Sure Sure it is. Absolutely. Does that include eating your Lord on Sunday (laughs) when you get communion? (laughs) Oof. Doesn't taste it's too not good. even a woof. That's 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 what it is, right? I yeah. mean, <laughs> okay. I'm like, not, li- like I'm not literally sure. trans. What do they call it? Trans something bation, where you're the, it actually you're the turns religious into expert, trans. I can't remember the word. Where it actually becomes the body of Jesus. It's, it's weird. Another defense witness was Mary Nicholas, Albert's 17-year-old stepdaughter. She described how Albert taught her and her brothers and sisters several games involving overtones of masochism and child molestation, like Buck Buck, How Many Hands Up. (laughs) Buck Buck, Buck, How Many Hands Up? (laughs) Buck Buck, How Many Hands Up? Gather around, children. that might be the most uncomfortable thing I've ever said on this show is Buck Buck, How Many Hands Up? We're going to play it next time we have a party. Buck, buck, how many hands up? Yeah, but we'll play with all adults. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no kids are going to be smacking anybody's asses. I'll play buck, buck, how many hands up with, with all of our friends. Sure. Sure. Yeah. How many hands up? Uh, do you have uh, 54 fingers up? Oh, no. Well, I also don't know what was what was on the, the paddle he was getting spanked with. Spikes. Nails. Oh, Nails. Not, I don't know if I'm into that. You sure? No. I'll try it. I'll try it. I just don't know if that's my thing. Yeah. I don't want a bleeding. It sounds terrible. I don't want bleeding ass cheeks. Awful. A little pain is okay. Okay. Not, not, a, not a spiked paddle? I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd probably draw the line That's before a bit the too spiked much. paddle. A bit too much. Yeah. yeah. None of the jurors doubted that Albert Fish was insane, but ultimately, as one later explained, 
they felt he should be executed anyways. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I guess Mike's not on that jury. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not I. Uh, they found him to be sane and guilty, and the judge ordered the death sentence. Albert Fish arrived at prison in March 1935, and he was executed on January 16th, 1936, in the electrocution chair at Sing Sing. So it's what, like 10 months later? Doesn't take no. 25 years like yeah. it does no, now, right? He's like, that ain't happening. <laughs> wow. They got to work quick. Yeah. He entered the chamber at 11.06 p.m. and was pronounced dead three minutes later. He was buried at the Sing Sing Prison Cemetery, and Albert is said to have helped the executioner put the electrodes on his body. And his last words were reportedly, quote, I don't even know why I'm here. I didn't even do anything. Why am I here? <laughs> There's a good picture of him in the electric chair you can is there? check out. yeah, Just sitting there while they're strapping him in. We'll probably post it. We should. According to one witness present, it took two jolts before Albert died, creating the rumor that the apparatus was short-circuited by the needles that were inserted into his body. <laughs> These rumors were later regarded as untrue as Albert Fish reportedly died in the same fashion and time frame as others that met the electric chair in this, in this time frame. At a meeting with reporters after the execution, his lawyer, James Dempsey, revealed that he was in possession of his client's, quote, final statement. This amounted to several pages of handwritten notes that Albert Fish apparently wrote before the hours just prior to his death. When pressed by journalists to reveal the document's contents, Dempsey refused, stating, quote, I will never show it to anyone. It is the most filthy string of obscenities I have ever read. Wow. That's crazy. He never released it? Never released it. Oh, shit. And that is the end of Albert Fish. Wow. I wonder what it said. I don't think I want to know. A whole bunch of bullshit that it's, nobody ever yeah, really yeah. needs It's probably to read. best not to know. This motherfucker, man. Well, so what do you make of that whole comment, I don't even know why I'm here? Is he just fucking with everyone? Or does he, is he legitimately nuts, mentally unstable and mm. doesn't know what's going on? Or just disavowing everything. I also saying, think it's I interesting that ended up here. That what the jury said. No, none of the jurors doubted that Albert Fish was insane, but they they ultimately felt he should be executed anyway. They found him sane and guilty. That's interesting too. It is clearly this guy had mental issues. I'm not trying to make excuses for him. Is executing mentally was, uh, ill people always wrong? I th I would argue executing people in general is wrong. Doesn't matter if they're mentally ill. Now, that being said, uh, this guy is not, he's a vile human being. He's, so if you're going to kill somebody, you know, it's going to be hard to argue that this guy shouldn't be on the list. He's a person the world can do without. I mean, mentally ill or not. But I, I don't know. Does that mean we just kill him? Who are we to say that you just die? Eh, I got no problem killing this guy. Well, neither the jury, <laughs> even though they found him, even though they thought he was insane. Oh, man. It's got to go. You know, I, I, I don't like the broad stroke of the death penalty because there are obviously innocent people that have gotten sentenced to death that uh, were innocent and should and not. Continue right. And continue to And I didn't mean to I mean, make, turn this yeah. into like a death penalty debate. We've had no, enough of that no, on this no, show. Yeah. It's just crazy that, uh, you know. I just, I, I, I really think that, that when you admit to what you've done to something like this. He's a bad person. He's an evil person vile there's, human being 
there's there's other people even in recent history i mean btk fully admitted to things we don't need you in life anymore that's my opinion i just uh we we don't need you you're not you're not benefiting society at this point world can do without you i'm with you yeah see you later alligator after a while crocodile (laughs) bye (laughs) what if that's just the end of the show we just stopped there right there that was just it yeah i don't know man it's just it's it's there's broad strokes that are taken with it well i mean you hear a story like this and it's it's hard to argue why you know it's hard to argue why this guy should still be alive so i get it I still stand by my anti-death penalty. That's fine. But I, I respect but, that. But I mean, if there's going to be a person that needs to be put to death, you know, you're not going to see me protesting in, in front of the building for this guy, or you know, jumping in front of the needle. But it's also weird that this guy was, you know, by the jurist's own opinion, crazy and mentally unstable, and yet they ignored all that. Yeah, I think it was the gravity of the crimes. I, the oh, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Of course it was. Of course it was. Of course. Yeah, this guy was a piece of shit. One of the worst, fellas. One of the this worst. This was the one of the most uncomfortable stories we've discussed. I don't love it. He's the inspiration for Hannibal Lecter and all kind of stuff. Mm. Ian, you got anything else on Albert Fish? We've been getting requests for him for a long time. We finally covered him. You got anything else on this guy? I got nothing. <laughs> You could tell when Ian does a power hour before the show. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's the best. Dave, you got anything else on Albert Fish? No, man. This fucking clown's letters speak for themselves. Just another person the world could do without. Yeah, it's hard to argue that. This guy was not a good human being. We have a few Patreon shout-outs. Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Thank you very much to Cassie, Kyle Walsh, Lane Wolfsong, Alexandra Oliver, Jimmy Davis and Matthew Sullivan, patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Don't forget, starting in May, we're going to have a new $10 tier coming out. You can get ad-free early releases on our Sunday shows, so you'll get those at least a day ahead of time without any ads. You'll also get a sticker, and uh, you will get a uh, video chat with us once a month for a uh, happy hour as we're calling it, I guess. It might turn into a power hour. Who knows? We don't know where it's going to go from there. Might happen. It'll be, be a good time. But thank you very much to those patrons, uh, the new patrons. We appreciate the uh, support. Ian, what do you got? I actually have nothing for iTunes tonight other than a huge thank you for everyone that's got us on the charts. It is very much appreciated. Keep pushing us up on those charts because I won't feel like I've made it until we are beating Nancy Grace, so... Fucking keep Nancy pu- Grace. <laughs> keep pushing us up those charts. Fucking I want to beat Nancy Grace. That's why. The day that Necronomapod is above Nancy Grace, that's that's the day that I will uh I'll say we made it. So keep pushing us up there. She's also a terrible human being. Like I don't I just that's don't fine, understand. But like she's agree. I wa- I want to beat N- Nancy Grace. Okay. And Dave, I don't think you have anything tonight Nothing for the socialists because no. I think we're all caught up. So yeah. We appreciate you guys listening. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and I think we're still on YouTube. They haven't kicked us off yet. At Necronomapod. Uh, Reach out to us. Let us know what you guys think. We appreciate it. We're going to have a fun May coming up in a a couple weeks. We have a whole series of shows all related, all connected. It's going to be a good time uh, in May. All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. Cheers.